hard to watch them fail. It is hard when you know the one thing you can do that they won't fail. It is not easy, okay? It is really, really hard, but this is their, your life, your job is, our job as parents, I believe, is to protect our children, to role model for them, to show them how to be kind um, people, inclusive people in society. And, and that doesn't mean being friends with everybody. That doesn't mean being the number one A plus student in school. That doesn't mean making a lot of money for some people, right? It just means finding their path and, and creating a sense of happiness for themselves. And that might be very different than what our future is, right? And so I think as moms, uh, moms judge other moms and they're like, oh, did you see her kid <clears throat> got expelled from school? What are they doing at home that that's the problem? Welcome to Mom Strength a podcast and movement to empower, educate, and showcase mom strength inside and out. I'm your host, Surabhi Veach, physiotherapist and fitness coach, also known as The Passionate Physio. Join me for discussions on movement, mindset, and motherhood, where we raise the bar and challenge the status quo. Get ready for expert interviews and real, honest conversations where we explore physical, mental, and emotional health. Let's celebrate the beautiful diversity and common experiences in all of our journeys. Let's do this. Hi, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Mom Strength. This is Surabhi Veach, and I'm really pumped to have on Krista Gurkha today. So Krista and I connected via the Movement Maestro. Um, you know, we're part of the mafia, and she has she heard my podcast with Shanti a few weeks ago, and we have been chatting since. And so I love I love all of this. I'm going to be introducing Krista a little bit and then have her chat about herself. So Krista is a board-certified orthopedic physical therapist specializing in Pilates-based fitness, injury prevention, and wellness, and she's based out of Miami. And so Krista's career spans more than three decades in the health and wellness industry. So she has her her lot of experience, and she's the founder and CEO of Miami's Pilates in the Grove, which serves the local Coconut Grove and South Miami community. So for anyone in that area, go Go connect with her if you don't know her already. Um, and she has national and international clientele with online and virtual programming, which I love. Um, she's the Pilates and wellness therapist for the Eastern Conference Champion Miami Heat, um, and as well as serves as a chairperson for the Miami-Dade County Wellness Coalition. Chris's passion, Chris's passion for empowering female entrepreneurs led her to the, her most recent professional venture as a business strategist and mentor to female business owners looking to start and scale their own healthcare and wellness company. For anyone listening who is a mom who is a business owner uh, or a mom who's thinking about starting her business, I think this episode will be really, really uh, great for you. And if, even if you're not a mom, outside of the office, she spends her time cheering on her all-time favorite athletes, her two teenage boys in their numerous athletic competition. I love this. I love all of this. Welcome, Krista. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm super happy to be here. Um, so why don't you, you know, we know obviously you're like professional bio and a little bit more about you. Why don't you tell us about what your your journey has been to get to where you are now, where you're coaching uh, female entrepreneurs, you're running a business, um, you're momming, all of that stuff. All of the stuff. So I would say that I think my journey is 
definitely organic. And when I say organic, it kind of like just flowed one thing into the other. Um, the only thing I think that was purposeful was I knew I wanted to be a physical therapist when I came out of high school, when I went into college. So similar to many physical therapists, I had an injury. I was an athlete. I had an injury. I thought my therapist was the coolest person in the entire <laughs> world. Um, I had an ACL injury and like back, this was in the nineties, early nineties. Um, they like immobilized you for an extended period of time. So therapy was really very different than what it is now. Fast forward, I became a physical therapist. Um, a little bit to the why behind why I was so adamant about my career. So I was raised by a single mom. My mom was an immigrant to this country when she was 15. She came from Cuba um, without her parents. So her story is really interesting, but my parents got divorced when I was seven and my mom never went to college. And so my, my, you know, view and like experience as a child was just, my mom worked really hard. Like she worked really hard. She, all of us went to school, um, colleges. My brother went to Duke. I went to Michigan. My sister went to school in Ohio. My brother has his PhD. I have my wow. master's degree. So like what, like she was really to her, just like being educated was really important to us. And I just looked at her living like paycheck to paycheck and being stressed about money. And I, I said, that will never be me. Yeah. It will never be that stressed and feel just because now as a mom, I know what it's like to not be able to give your kids everything that you want to give them. And she did an amazing job. But anyways, I was really adamant that like, if God forbid anything happened in my marriage, I was going to always be able to be financially independent and support myself and my children. And so I met my husband in college. Um, we dated for 10 years before we got married because I was really geared towards like, if anything happens, I want to be able to provide for myself and my family. And I knew yep. that as a physical therapist, regardless if I worked or not, I could always go back to work. Yep. Right. So that was, that's how I became a therapist. My husband and I are still married. We just celebrated <laughs> our 20 year anniversary of marriage. Congratulations. Yes. Yeah, so that's great. We, we surpassed both our parents in staying married. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So then I fast forward, like, let's see my, I came out of PT school in 1999. The, the job market was awful. Mm -hmm. Um, I bounced around and then I found Pilates. I worked at a Pilates based therapy center. And then all of a sudden, I don't know how this entrepreneur, I don't know if you've ever read the book, The E-Myth. Have you read the book, The E-Myth? No, no. It's a fabulous book. So if anyone's listening and has a service-based business, I think The E-Myth Revisited, it's one of the first books I recommend to people if they've, if they've started a business. It basically, in the book, he talks about it as an entrepreneurial seizure. He's like, mm. these are people that are technicians like us that have, that are the product. And one day they just have a seizure and decide they're going to open their own business. So <laughs> that's kind of how I talk about my journey into healthcare and wellness. Um, at the time that I started my business, my children were six months and two and a mm -hmm. half two years old. So kind of like you, very Yeah, I was going to say very similar. And, you know, young. I want to backtrack a little bit because I think your journey into, you know, why you do this, the things you do today, I feel like it's very powerful. And it speaks to me too, because I am an immigrant, 
you know, I came with my family when I was 10. I saw my parents were very well educated, but struggled to find jobs because their degrees weren't recognized. My mom was a university professor in India, and here she was struggling to get um, supply teaching roles as an ESL and English as a second language teacher. Like, you know, they re retrained in new jobs. They were doing nothing that they were doing before. And I saw how much they struggled. I got a job as soon as I could. And I think that that drives me to really want to succeed both financially and just in my life. And I really find that powerful. Um, a lot of people who don't start businesses or maybe see other people successful, assume that they had a really great start mm -hmm. or that mm -hmm. they had it easy. Maybe they had a lot of privilege and may, a lot too. But I really, um, you know, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I think and it is powerful because I think when, when we're children of immigrants or not necessarily maybe second generational immigrants, but, um, you know, my mom came to this country as um, if people know anything about like Cuban history, there was the, a, a point when Castro took over and there was this, this exodus that was called the Peter Pan flights where all these families put their kids to get them out of the country. And mm -hmm. my mom and her siblings came during that. So she came alone. She didn't see her parents for over a year. She wow. was adopted by a family in upstate New York. Can you imagine three, four little kids like from Cuba? That's a tropical island. Yeah. <laughs> Go to upstate <laughs> gorgeous, New York. Gorgeous, warm to like freezing Upstate cold. New York, right. Yeah. Where it's like freezing, doesn't speak English, doesn't know where her parents are. So that's like a whole crazy thing unto itself. Um, but I always say my grandparents did too much for me to fail. Like they yes. sacrificed too much for so me not much. to succeed, yeah. Yeah. you know? And by, by the way, there's a whole other like mindset beliefs around that too, that I've had to work through that like things have to be really hard. So yes. I have to work through some of that. But I do yeah. believe, I was like, you know, my mom sacrificed a lot and gave us a lot as a single mom. Mm -hmm. And it's also why, you know, I think often about the difference, like my life could have been very different just from one or two choices. You know, I also was a generation X. We were alone a lot. My mom worked two jobs. You know, I could have easily maybe gone another route Yep. Right. But we all were very lucky. And so and my mom also had a good family support. That was the other thing she did. We eventually moved to Miami where all the Cubans live. <laughs> and so like, <laughs> we have like a lot of community support and Cubans. I would imagine. I mean, I'm assuming, but similar to like Indian culture, family is like very important. important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so there was grandparents and aunts and uncles and second cousins and people that just took care, helped us. That's amazing. Um, but it's also why I coach female business owners because I didn't have entrepreneurship modeled for me. Nobody in my family that I know is, a, is an entrepreneur. My mom, like I said, didn't go to college. She doesn't have a college degree. So I didn't know that that was possible. I didn't see it. And so what I want to show women is that one, you don't need an MBA to be successful in business. Um, you can be financially solvent and financially independent and change the trajectory of you and your children's lives in the future. And I truly believe that by helping, by me helping other women, mm -hmm. women then go out and help their communities. And then yes. it's the way that we can just continue to pay it forward and forward and forward and forward and forward. I love that. Women are the leaders. Women are the mm -hmm. change makers. And I really love that you empower other women to 
kind of take charge and feel more in control of their their financial and their well-being, right? And you know, for any single moms who are listening to this, I think it's really also powerful because you see that I know I'm not a single mother, but I know single mothers work so damn hard and to give their children everything that they can. And oftentimes there's this guilt of I'm not around them as much because I'm working so much. But you see people like you who come out and they're so successful and all of your siblings. And I think that that's really powerful too and reassuring for people who are in that scenario. Um, can you tell me about, you know, you said you, <laughs> you use the term, you know, accidental, not accidental, but like a... I am I, I, accidental entrepreneur. Yes. That's what I say. I'm an accidental yeah. entrepreneur. Yeah. Or like the business or physio seizure thing. Yeah. I like that analogy because in physio school, for those of you who don't know, we are not trained. Anyways, when I went to school, there was no. zero business. There was like one lecture and I'm like, okay, I don't understand any of this. And there was like a SWOT analysis or something. I can't remember. And it was just nonsense. Like there was no translation from how are we actually going to do this? So when you started it down that path without obviously an MBA or, you know, specific business coaching, how did you begin? Did you have a mentor in the field? Um, so that's a great question. And I will tell you that I'll, I'll kind of tell you. So when I first opened my very first business, so I worked in a Pilates-based physical therapy clinic insurance-based. We took insurance. I got my Pilates certification. Um, and my initial thought was I was just going to use it with my patients because I saw a tremendous great effects with it. I thought it was great mm -hmm. for therapy. Then all of a sudden I started seeing all these people in the community love Pilates, be turned onto it for the first time. And then when they were done, say like, oh, where can I keep doing it? And we just didn't have the capacity to be a studio, so to speak, and privates mm -hmm. are a higher price point. And I said to my boss, I said, you know, this just seems silly. We have all this built-in clientele, and then we send them out to them all off. these other studios. Right. And so he said, well, what do you think you should do about it? And I was like, I think we should maybe open a studio, like small. So, so actually Amazing. two patients of mine and my boss said, okay, let's do it. So four of us went into business. We opened right across the street from the clinic, 300 square feet. That's it. Wow. It was $2,000 investment. I didn't know anything about business. I didn't know what an operating agreement was. I didn't know what investment capital meant. I didn't even know what brick and mortar meant. I had to Google it. <laughs> I had to Google what brick and mortar meant. I did not know what that meant. So at the time, I just thought that maybe I would do a little bit of Pilates on the side and like still work in the clinic. Fast forward, it took off. It just took wow. off. It, it was crazy. We eventually expanded. I would eventually leave my clinic job. And I just started looking at this as like, when I first started my business, I didn't even think that it would garner $200,000 in revenue a year. Like I was like, this is not a possibility. Yeah. I didn't think that way. And we got to 200. Wow. Then we got to 300. Then we, I was like, oh, this could be something. And so yeah. the same way I approach my patients, I love, I'm a very critical thinker, like a very curious and analytical. So when I look at a patient, I'm like, hmm, why does your left shoulder hurt? Like what's mm -hmm. going on that is, could it be coming from your right foot? Like I'm just critical that way. So I started to look at business that way. And I started to look at it from a business point of view like a puzzle. How can we get more out of the business? How mm. can I, you know, look to say, how did, what did I think I was doing saying that I could make a six figure salary doing something that I loved, you know? So yep. how could we get to $500,000 in revenue? 
how could we get to a million dollars in revenue? And so I started the very first person I ever asked, I had a client who was, do you remember the like baby on board, like stickers or stuff that used to be on the car? Yeah. So I found out during our sessions, my sessions with him, that he was the owner of that. And like the, the founder of like that company, it was like baby something or other. And I was like, oh, this guy is like, knows what he's doing. And so I asked him one time, do you think I could take you out to coffee and just ask you some stuff about business? And he was like, absolutely. And he, you know, I got my P&L ready and I was, you know, I went over to him and he gave me some really good advice. And that's when I said, I can learn how to do this. Mm -hmm. I can learn how to do this. The same way if we want to dive deeper into, you know, like even learning about prenatal and postnatal, you know, diving deeper into what is a diastasis, like how, what's a prolapse, how can Mm -hmm. we treat it? I was just like, I can learn this. And so as I started learning more and more about business, people started asking me questions like, hey, how do you do this? And how do you do this? And, you know, I was like, oh, maybe I have something to offer women, you know? And um, I would go to all these conferences, like, I don't know if you feel the same way, but we'd go to conferences, whether it be Pilates or physical therapy. And there was always sessions about the clinical side of it. Always. It's like there was how to deal with hip pain in this specific yeah. population. I'm like, how many people actually have that versus yeah. like and- evidence-based <laughs> approach to all that yeah. stuff, but there's yeah. no business stuff or there's very None. few business stuff. And I'm like, we can all be amazing therapists, but if our businesses can't stay open, yeah. What good is it for, right? Or if and you're not so, making enough and you're resenting, you know, yeah, being there yeah. because you are working till 9 p.m. every day and, you know, you're not making your ends meet. It's really stressful. And I always tell people, like, I, when I graduated, I've always worked in orthopedics clinics and initially I started on salary and then I started making, like, you know, a percentage, a cut per per client. So I, Sam Mizzou, have zero business you know, acumen or anything, but I learned really quickly how to have clients, how to keep or client retention and how to keep clients happy and like the customer service part of it. And because I've had a job since I was 14, I feel like you learn customer service in different fields as well and you apply it Mm -hmm. to whatever field you're working in. And I remember for a while, like people just assumed they didn't need to know business unless they're opening up a clinic. But I feel like you need to know business even if you are working for someone else in order to keep your clientele. Mm-hmm. It's like some basic basic stuff that everybody really needs to know. So I love that you had, you know, you asked around, you learned. You, it sounded like you really became empowered in the fact that you can be a successful business owner even though you don't have that same start, you don't have a degree. Um, and that's so awesome that that um, owner of the baby on board, I still see the sticker sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, does that actually do anything? But I'm like, maybe. Uh, I don't think it does. Um, So then tell me, once you started your Pilates business, you said you stopped working at the clinic. So were you fully Pilates at that point or were you still a physical therapist? So I definitely went through the point that I was like, who's going to pay cash for physical therapy? Because this was back in like 2000. First of all, it was 2007 and 8, which was the last recession. Recession, yeah. And Thankfully, I didn't really know what the hell I was doing, so I didn't really understand we were in the middle of a recession, you know? (laughs) (laughs) That's always a good thing when you 
You're like, what? People are complaining about lost jobs. You're like, I'm good. I had no idea. My kids were so young. I was yeah. like just still in mommy mode. And like, I didn't even really, maybe it was because I didn't think of it as a business so much as a project. Yeah. I thought of it kind of similar to you were saying like, this is a project. That's how and I felt too. You know, eventually what would happen was we would open a second location. My partnership would eventually dissolve. Um, just we didn't see eye to eye. And, and um, you know, we eventually dissolve. And then from there, my business truly took off. Mm. That's when I really started to come out of my shell and realize, you know, I can learn this stuff as long as I reach out to the right people and ask the right questions I still didn't see people like me doing what I was doing. Like all the women that I looked at, that I was like looking at, like, oh, they did this or they did that. Either they came from a corporate background. So they had come from like Nike or Equinox, or if you know the the story of the founders of SoulCycle, like they were very successful in their own right prior to starting SoulCycle. And, or they didn't have children. Mm-hmm. Right. So I didn't really, or, you know, they were MBAs with venture capital. And I was like, that's not me. I don't see myself in there. Um, but I was like, I think I can make this work. I really think I can make this work. But I, I tell you, I did never think that I could create a seven figure business from the ground up, like without venture credible. Yeah. That is incredible. And it's so, like, it's hope inspiring, to be honest. It is. It's just awesome. And are, were you at this point at the same 300 square feet location or had you expanded? Yeah. So we expanded. So we we left that 300 square foot location probably within 18 months just because we were we growing. Space. We mm-hmm. needed a bigger space. And that was pretty much the time that I left my clinic fully. I was like, listen, I'm going to go all in in the studio. So we left to maybe a 1200 square foot space. So, you know, 1200 square feet. That's when I did start saying, oh, I could do physical therapy like it's cash. So people, you know, clients from the old clinic were finding me. My my clients were coming to Pilates class and like, oh, are you going to do therapy here? That's kind of how it started. And then fast forward two years after that, I opened a second location in Coconut Grove, which is like 30 minutes from my first location. Um, And then the physical therapy practice started getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so I would still say, though, now our our physical therapy portion of the business is probably 30, 35 percent of our business. And then the rest is what we call wellness. So Pilates. Um, But we transition people out of acute physical therapy pretty quickly. Um, So some people might still be more in a rehab recovery session. But once we don't really need manual therapy anymore, we really transition them into a wellness. Movement and wellness. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So so maybe our numbers are more like 40%, 60%, but from acute physical therapy, it's probably around a 30% right now. And that strategy, like, you know, I really strongly believe in that active approach too, because we we need that. We need to move. And movement is so powerful and therapeutic in itself. And at this point, it sounds like you're, how old were your kids when you first opened up across the street? And then by the 18 months later, were you, were you a mom of two about two by then or? Yeah. Yeah. So my, the first time I started my business, my boys were um, six months and like two, two and a half. Um, And again, I was like, what the hell am I doing? I don't really know what I'm doing, (laughs) but 
The, what I will say, though, is I knew because I had kids that I did not want to be the business. It's why we didn't name it after me. Right. It's not my name. Um, I knew I didn't want to work 80 hours a week. So I oh, I started out with a team, even mm. a few independent contractors, because I was like, I, I can't be sustain this. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to be home with my kids. I always worked. I didn't think I could be a stay at home mom. I just it's not in my it's not in my nature. I don't think that I could. And I was kind of like you, like I've worked since I was 14. It was in my DNA, you know, maybe yeah. that's a whole other mindset thing. But I was going to say, I feel like there, I, I recognize that too. It's like, you know, since when I was a kid, you have to work hard, you have to work hard. And I've been unlearning that messaging too and allowing myself to rest because yes, hard work is important, but like life is not about just hard work. It's mm-hmm. about enjoying and living and being too. So, I mean, that's a whole different topic in itself, but you know, I think that's really powerful too, is a lot of people would not accept help even in, in their business because, you know, it's like, I need to grow it all myself. I need to do it all myself. But you knew right from the beginning that you're like, you know what, this is not going to fit my life if I also have young kids and I want to do this and that. So it sounds like you had a team approach right from the beginning. I did. And I also didn't want to make it about me. I didn't yeah. want the business to be my name because I knew Krista at some Gurka. point yeah. I knew at some point I'd want to remove myself from the business a little bit. Yeah. Um, but also I will say I have a really hard time asking for help. So initially it was more like I just want other people to be involved. But even mm. when I was getting business information, this whole thing of like people are going to know that I have no idea what the hell I'm doing and then they're not going to trust me. And then they're, so I had to unravel these thoughts of like, no, it makes you braver when you are telling people like, I'm going to go out and get help, right? I'm going to ask for help. I'm going to seek out information. Then I even started paying for it. That's really when things started changing. When I actually said, okay, I am going to pay $25,000 to be part of this program so that I can really learn what I need to learn. Right. And then that's when I said, now I want to share this information with as many people as I possibly can so that they can have successful businesses, whatever that business looks like for them. Not everyone wants to have a seven figure business, you know? So whatever it looks like for you, that's great. And by the way, you don't have to own a business to still have freedom and flexibility and live a great life as a physical therapist, a physio, a trainer. A lot of the people that work for me, they get, you know, work cash based. They get to work one-on-one with their clients, but they don't have to go home with like the analytics at the end of the night. So they're kind of getting the best of both worlds. I do think if business owners are built differently, um, then, then I don't want to say like workers because, but there's just as much value in that. And not everyone wants to be a business owner and not everyone, you don't have to own the business to have an impact and be successful. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, part of it, I was thinking about this, there's this question that I saw. It's like, do you want to be a business owner because you want the power trip of like, I'm a business owner. I'm the, I'm at the top because I know somebody in my you know, my part, my husband's family who owns a business that that's like the mentality. And it's like, for me, I was like, I never wanted to own a business because of that. I wanted to own a business 
I wanted to start my business because I saw a need for this service. And I was like, I can provide this. People need this. I need to do this. And I like what you said because I, rem- I remember when I was working for another clinic, it was kind of nice. You make a lot of money, you go home, you don't have to worry about it. And now when you own your own business, there's such a huge learning curve. You know, I'm in my mid 30s, but I feel like I'm 20 years old again in college, like learning everything all over again. And I love learning. So for me, mm-hmm. it's like it brings me joy to do that. But that's not everybody's cup of tea. And I think that's a really important message. And if you're listening to this and you're not a PT and you're not a trainer and you're not, you know, owning a business, But even as a mom, you know, it's, or even as a patient yourself, when you pay someone to access services, you're going to show up, you're going to pay attention, you're going to do the homework versus when you're just like, oh, I'll just, you know, Google some YouTube or YouTube some exercises and I'll I'll just figure it out myself. And I think the same goes with businesses. Like when you start paying other people for their services, whether it's like you were talking about before a VA or, you know, I hired a podcast editor. It's like, I have released a little bit of control, sure, but I'm now pumping out many more podcast episodes than I would be without that. Um, Thank you, Ed, by the way. (laughs) I tell people all the time, the transformation is in the transaction. Yes. Yeah. So, And it it, it is, it's, it, it, it is a powerful message, I think, for people who assume that they should be able to figure it out themselves. Business, I should just know how to do this. You know, how come other people are so good? I'm like, because they had help, because they asked yeah. for help, because they, they accepted asked for help. Questions, yeah. I mean, I wa- I'd love to make a great point. I was actually going to do a podcast about this earlier because I think people look to <clears throat> social media or the outside and see, <clears throat> excuse me, and see they have an ideal of someone, right? Mm. So I, I just want to put out there that one, number one, I never saw, I never wanted to be a business owner. I never saw that modeled for me. I don't come from money. I put myself through college, bartending. Um, I am a mom. I'm sorry, my little allergies here. But I'm a mom. My husband travels for work a lot. I'm an introvert. I am inherently lazy. Okay. I don't. We sound so similar. I I don't wake up at five o'clock in the morning to like do things. I don't have a three hour routine. No, I don't drink green juice all day long. I don't exercise regularly. Like I do read. I do have an open mind. I used to not be very self-aware. I'm working on that. Um, I don't have fabulous people skills. You know, um, so so I don't think that there's if you have this idea like, oh, well, Mm. that person comes from money or, yeah, that person has an MBA or they have, you know, this or that. What I do have is I have a a supportive partner, very supportive, that does not think that my business is a hobby. Right. Mm -hmm. We are partners in our child rearing. Yeah. Right. Makes a huge difference. Yes. I have help. And I am in a, in a financial situation now where I can afford help. And I, I encourage women to get whatever help they can afford in their home life and in their work. Okay. So like if you need help at home to clean and you can, that's what you want to spend your money on, spend your money on that. Right. If you have the ability to have a nanny, I had a nanny when my kids were younger because it was actually more it was more, what's the word I'm looking for? Like it was, yes, to have someone come to the house and me go back to work, right? Because I was earning, my earning potential was was more. Um, 
I, do I have someone to come clean my house? Yeah, once a week, I have someone to come clean my house, right? So I do have those things. So, yeah. But you, okay. you also don't have to start with all of those things no. in order. And that's, that's, I think, the big thing is, you know, I had all of those same mental blocks before I started my business. It's like, I don't come from money. I'm an immigrant. I'm brown. I have never seen someone like me do it unless they, unless they came from money. Or, oh, you know, my family, when we moved here, we don't have a big support system. We don't have a lot of family or community. So it's like, there's all of these reasons why I couldn't do it. But then you start to think about, let's focus on like, the next right step instead of like this whole, all of the barriers. And I mm-hmm. really think that when you don't take action, you can get stuck in that, like mm-hmm. that self yeah. or that negative spiral, but you have to take action and you have to prove to yourself that you can handle it. And then you have to take action again and prove to yourself mm-hmm. you can handle that. And I really think that like, I can just now picture your trajectory, I guess, like your journey, you know, from where you started and then you went for that next thing. And then you went for that next thing as you started to grow and expand. Um, and I love, I love that, you know, honesty around getting support. Like I, we hired a house cleaner a couple months ago and it is like a huge difference. I cannot even tell you how good it feels to do that. And we started with once a month because I'm like, that's what we can afford right now. But eventually I'd like to do every couple of weeks and then eventually I'd like to do every week. And this is something that you don't have to start off with it being perfect. You just have to start off. Yeah. Um, And you're right. And action creates clarity, mm -hmm. right? And so, and I also think as moms, we have this thing like, oh, well, I can't hire someone to clean my house or help me clean my house because that's what I'm supposed to do, right? Or I can't order in for food because I'm supposed to make home-cooked meals for my kids or like, you know- Especially for those moms on mat leave or like who are at home. They're like, I'm at home all day. Like, shouldn't I be doing that? I'm like, yeah. Have you ever taken care of kids? You're (laughs) like the kids- human being alive. Like that is a value. Yeah, that is the work. So, and, and it's our own internal belief of what we believe is supposed to happen, which is also very cultural, right? Like that definitely has cultural impact because different cultures, women have different roles in different cultures. Right. And so that also comes from well, my grandmother did it and my mom did it and my aunts do it. And, you know, and I, let me just say, I was not born with the cooking gene. I don't like to cook. I'm not a good cook. Can I cook? Certainly. But am I good at it? No. And do I like it? No. So if my husband's gone on a long trip and I order dinner in, I'm like, this is what I'm going to spend my money on this week. And I'm going to be okay with it. No one's going to die. No one's judging me. It's okay. It's going to be fine. I hear from so many moms, like, I feel so guilty. Like, we ordered in again. Okay. And I'm like, what is there to be feeling guilty about? I'm like, you're supporting a local business. <laughs> your kids are fed. You have bought back your time and energy mm-hmm. to spend with whatever, your, your child or your kids or, or yourself. Or yourself. You know? <laughs> it's, it, those are all important things. And I really think that that worthiness, you know, if you don't find yourself worthy as a person, then you're sacrificing yourself for every other need, whether it's your business, your your kids, your partner. And I really think it comes back to, you know, women coming back to their own sense of like self and worthiness and like I need I have needs and they deserve to be met. Um whether their movement needs, food or rest or like you know, financial goals, everything, you know, your passions and how did you find in terms of your kids? Like, I, re- I want to talk a little bit more about that because your kids are older now. Mm-hmm. So you have seen them evolve as children while y- seeing you as a business owner. 
And how would you find that they feel about you owning a business and the time that you invest in your business and um, all of that? Yeah, it definitely has changed. So my, my boys are 16 and 18 right now. And my older son's about to go to college and he is majoring in business, which is really exciting. And, um, you know, they've always known me working. I have worked always. The beauty of our industry also is that I could also be available. So if I needed to take a, a couple hours off to go to an event, um, I was able to do that. Whereas my mom, on the other hand, was really not able to do that because if she didn't work, she didn't get paid. And there was like a lot. Yeah. But I don't remember her not being at stuff. She was at a lot of stuff. She just wasn't like the room mom that was yeah. there all the time. Yeah. The, so the one thing I, I, I will say, and I recommend women doing this, you don't have to feel guilty if you can't be the room mom or if you can't bring cupcakes into class. Um it's okay to say no. And I would encourage women to practice saying no frequently if they just don't have the bandwidth to do that on their plate. Because by the way, your kid at three is not going to remember if you brought cupcakes to the mm-hmm. class or not. So my kids have definitely, you know, there, there have definitely been times where somebody, one of my sons, I remember, I'll never forget this. He said, mom, you were the only mom that wasn't there. And I was like, Ugh. Stab me with a knife in my heart and twist it around. Um, but they, you know, even my son sometimes will say, you know, mom, you work really hard. You should take a, a rest. And then sometimes we'll be like, are you resting now? So I've become diligent about, and I'm not perfect, but I used to become diligent about like when I was home saying, like, I'm going to be home with my kids, right? And really trying not to look at my phone or it's actually yeah. one of the reasons my husband got me an Apple watch like several years ago. And I was like, do you mind if I return it? Just because I don't want to be more connected than I'm already connected, yeah. right? So, and really being, if they talk to me, putting my phone down, right? So just little mm-hmm. things like that. And, and, and when they were little, what I would say is, okay, so we're going to set the timer and mommy needs like 20 more minutes to finish this and then we'll play. So like, you oh my go gosh, do I love the timer. Yeah. yeah, we just did the timer and they knew not to bother me at this for this time. And I just give them, you know, times where I was like, okay, now we can play and we would do, it's fair. I'm a very structured person. So we would make everything very structured. Nice. My boys now, you know, I feel like I've, I'm at a lot. Like, you know, I said, I, my biggest thing is I love watching my favorite athletes play. I go to all of their sporting events and I'm grateful that I have the opportunity opportunity to do that for them. And, you know, my older son's going away to college and I am trying to find ways to spend as much time as possible <laughs> with him now. Cause you know, this is it. Like I, I you know, know, these, our jobs as moms are to, are to teach them, mold them, you know, show them role model for them, how to be functional human beings, kind human beings in society. And now we have to let them go and, trust and spread and their wings go. and trust trust that they will make decisions. They will fall. They will make mistakes. We have to allow them to make those mistakes so that they can have the proper tools to live and function in society. That's incredible. I That's one of my goals too for when my kids are older is to be there at those things because my mom my dad never came to those things and my mom came to like one thing. And I remember being, you know, 
at the track meets, like my friends' moms would be there and my mom just was working. And I never was upset that she at her, but I was upset at the situation. Mm -hmm. And I really think that like, I don't want to be the mom who's bringing in cupcakes all the time, but I want to be there for those types of things where, you know, they're doing something and they are proud of it. I want to support them through that. And I really think that, you know, the whole cupcake thing makes me laugh because I think partially it's like, again, it comes back to this insecurity. It's like, I want my kid to be popular. I need to be that mom who's making the best loot bags, having the best parties. And I'm like, I don't really care about my child being popular. I want them to be obviously belong and accepted, but they'll figure out life for themselves. Mm. I'm not going to buy their popularity by making the cutest loot bags and toys. And But I see that happening. And I think it stems from like mother's own pressure, conditioning, insecurities and whatnot. And take that pressure off yourself. You yeah. know, take and the I guilt think, off. I think as moms, we should have more empathy for each other. You know, mm-hmm. I think that our society, our generation of moms right now, again, we come from a different generation. So like how we were brought up and how we were raised, we bring that own experience with us, right? And so we are a generation now of either helicopter or bulldozer parents because we want to pave the way for our kids. And Mm, we get a sense I've never heard the term bulldozer. That's a good one. So bulldozer parents are like, you. so helicopters like hovering around them all the time. Bulldozer is like, you just paved the way for them. And they, you bulldoze a path for them. And so how do they ever learn if you're paving the way for them? And by the way, the path, they need to create their own path. But listen, it is hard to let your kid fail. It is mm-hmm. hard to watch them fail. It is hard when you know the one thing you can do that they won't fail. It is not easy. Okay. It is really, really hard. But this is their, your life, your job is, our job as parents, I believe, is to protect our children to role model for them, to show them how to be kind um, people, inclusive people in society. And and that doesn't mean being friends with everybody. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean being the number one A plus student in school. That doesn't mean making a lot of money for some people, right? It just means finding their path and, and creating a sense of happiness for themselves. And that might be very different than what our future is, right? And so I think as moms, uh, moms judge other moms and they're like, oh, did you see her kid got expelled from school? What are they doing at home that that's the problem, you know? And instead, by the way, most of the things that our kids, and my kids are older now, so I've seen kids get kicked out of school. What those, some of those kids did to get kicked out of school could be any single one of our children, yeah. Could be there. It's getting caught smoking in the bathroom. Like, could any kid do that? Yes. Mm-hmm. Saying a bad word to another child. Could any of our, we would all say, oh, well, my kid would never do that. But you know what? Kids make mistakes. And that doesn't mean that you are a bad mom because your child made a mistake. It doesn't mean that you're a bad mom because your kid can't stop talking in class. By the way, I I cannot wait for, this is like my big soapbox because I've gone through like school, like my my older son's been to seven different schools just because it's been, we had to find the right place for him. The the whole thing on the report card of like talks too much. Mm. Dude, keep talking. Like Mm -hmm. talking is what's going to make you successful in life. Asks too many questions. Really? Asks too many questions? Can't sit still. Of course they can't sit still because by the way, school, our idea of school, and I don't know how it is in, in Canada, but in the United States, 
we have not changed the school system since the industrial age. And the reason school was developed was because back in the industrial age, they needed people to just follow orders and do a task, right? Follow instructions. And that's not what we need nowadays. We need kids to be critical thinkers. Critical thinkers. Yeah. I feel like part of it is they don't really, this is my thing with the education system too, because I grew up in India, we're like, there's a much higher standard of like teaching and lessons. I mean, it's totally different, but I remember when we moved here, it was, there's like no critical thinking. There is a right or wrong answer. There's no like shades of gray. It's just like, Oh, you, you didn't think exactly the way I thought. And I'm like, but it's still the right answer, just a different way. Anyways, it's just too restrictive. I think that's Mm -hmm. what it is. And I think as a physio, I don't want my kid to sit for seven hours a day. That's so bad for their bodies their postures their mental health, like I know when my daughter has not been out for outdoor time in daycare because of it was raining or it was too cold because she comes home ready to like blow because she mm-hmm. has just not moved her body. It's like being in kid jail, right? But that's the school system. And it's like not all kids are going to be as good at sitting or as good at being quiet. And it's that's not a bad thing. That's like we need to let people play through to their strengths. And I love that you finally found him a school that was actually supportive for him. Is that when you were um did you homeschool him for for some time too? So my younger son, we homeschooled him for a half a year. He had some something happen at school that was, you know, pretty traumatic. And I didn't feel like the school was making the right decision or protecting my kid. And I was like, you know, it it was one of these moments of like, F this, I am, so I'm just pulling him out of school. And I remember, it's almost like when you're like, I quit. And then you get Mm -hmm. in your car and you're like, oh my God, can I get my job back? I remember getting (laughs) in my car and being like, what did I just do? You know, and so I homeschooled him. I, I, I was luckily at a point in my business where I just took like, a leave of absence, a little bit of a sabbatical. I had a team in place that was, and I do believe the universe conspires in our favor because we had made some decisions like six, eight months earlier that led up to the fact that I could completely remove myself. And it was during that time that I really realized like my kid left school. I taught him. I am not a teacher. I am also not very patient. And we spent every day together. I let him go to the wakeboard park. I, we, we just read books. He didn't skip a beat. And we spent maybe an hour a day learning. And he went back to school the following year, um, albeit at a different school, but he didn't skip a beat. He's perfectly fine. He, you know, like, so it's really where I realized, like, we're focused on the wrong stuff, so many yeah. of us. And yeah. as parents, you know, and that was another thing, like, no, only maybe like one or two moms reached out to me to say, you know, I heard what happened. If you need to talk Is anything okay? yeah. versus, you know, I knew a lot of people that were like, oh, did you hear? And did you hear this? And did you hear that? And now I just say, you know, moms, we should have collective empathy for each other. Like that mom whose kid just got con- caught with a weapon at school is struggling at home to say like, what happened? She's judged. She's thinking herself, like, what did I do wrong? Right. Mm -hmm. And to just say, maybe she didn't do anything wrong. Right. Like her kid maybe has, you know, some issues that he has to resolve. And, and it's very hard being a teenager now. And it's very hard being a parent now because we have to, we have to navigate so many things that our parents really didn't have to navigate. I think that is an important point. You know, I have two examples. Like in my children's daycare, 
we have kids. My son is in the infant room and my daughter's in the preschool room. And the my son's teachers are amazing. They're ECEs, early childhood educators, and my daughters are not as. And so if somebody was being bullied in her class, if something was happening in her class, we wouldn't know. And so my daughter had been in the room for six months and she hadn't really opened up. She was still quiet, mostly to herself, wasn't playing with anybody. And we didn't know. Nobody told us. And it got to the point where my daughter came home crying one day and saying, like, I was by myself all day. Nobody's playing with me. And I was like, why haven't we, why haven't this been, why hasn't this been communicated? Because we are sending our child, assuming that all is well. Luckily, my child is like, has amazing emotional intelligence and awareness and communication to be able to let us know this stuff. But I'm like, she's three. She should not be handled or this shouldn't be her her issue to handle. And I really think that part of it is in the school system, teachers aren't being paid enough, ECs aren't being paid enough to communicate this stuff with parents at an early enough time. So I can see how some things get out of control, you know, mm-hmm. by the time you find out that your child has been bullied or is bullying or something's happening, maybe years are going by. Or even that maybe this is the first time this has happened, but there's just this lack of, I guess, communication. And my, you know, another story that one of my friends is going through right now is her son has ADHD and gets so hyper-focused on certain things and doesn't realize that he's hurting other kids in the in the process. And she's like, it's really hurtful as for her as a mom because other moms will judge her as if she is causing that. And she's like, I don't, she's like, I think my son's being rude too. Like, I don't want him to do that, but we are working on it. And I really wish that other people had more like empathy. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's really opened my eyes to the fact that we are all going through stuff that not everybody mm-hmm. can see. And we really do need to be more empathetic. And, you know, if you're listening to this and somebody in your kid's school went through something similar, like reach out to the parents and just say like, hey, if you need to talk, I'm here for you because it is hard, Yeah, you know, and it's, it's just not easy. I think you're right. It's a different generation. Being a teenager, I cannot even imagine with the phones and, you know, cyberbullying and all of that other stuff on Mm -hmm. top of it. Mm -hmm. It's toxic. And um, it is really hard. And I think you're right, because it's, it's hard to be the parent of the kid who's getting picked on. It's also hard to be the parent of the kid who's doing the picking on, right? And, Mm -hmm. and, or, you know, I have one of my sons, my younger one has ADHD. My older one is when he was younger, he, he was, he was just a little old for it. He was older, one of the oldest ones in the class, and he was very vocal. He had a very um, articulate vocabulary from a young age. And so kids would think he's being mean or teachers would think he was being rude, but he just was able – you don't expect that from like a four-year-old. Right. right. And so it was It was a struggle like as a parent, like constantly getting called into school and your son said this. And I was like, okay, like – Really? And sometimes like kids don't say things with the same like meaning behind it. Like we They're give very adult literal. meaning. Yeah, we give They're adult meaning literal. to what a child is saying. They're just literally saying something. Like my daughter will say, I don't, you know, I don't like that color mm-hmm. or whatever. And I'm like, I could decide to be hurt by it, or I could just say you're a kid who has a, a choice or has a thought and you're just verbalizing. Yeah. It. They're like, very literal. Fine. Kids are very literal. And so, you know. Mm. I just have gone little by little. And you know, when my kids come home, listen, your kid, I don't care who you are. There is not going to be a time in your life where your kid doesn't come home and say something happened to them. Meaning someone said something mean to me or my teacher's picking on me. And by the way, it doesn't mean it's true. It means it's their perception of reality. Mm -hmm. But we have really said, and as a parent, we are only 
as happy as our unhappiest child. Like we are only as happy as our unhappiest child because it hurts. The kind of love we have for our children, and I can't speak for men, I would have to imagine it's the same, but the kind of love I have for my children is like no other love that I have experienced ever. It's not the same as I have for my siblings. It's not the same as I have for my husband. It's not the same as I have for my parents. It is something that nothing will break. Nothing can squash. Not, no matter what they did in their life, there is nothing that would could touch the love that I have for my children. You know, And so there are times I may not like them, or their behavior, but <laughs> yeah. the love that I have. And so what we say to our kids, what I did anyways, was like, they'd come home and say, you know, so-and-so said that they didn't like my outfit or that I suck at basketball or whatever. And I was like, you know, do you think you suck at basketball? No. Well then what does it matter what Johnny thinks? You know, but he's mean. And I would say, you know, but I would, I, I think what's important as parents, and I've learned this over the last couple of years, to hear what they're saying and acknowledge what you're hearing. So I could, would say things like, I hear what you're saying is it, it hurt your feelings when Johnny said he didn't like your basketball or you sucked at basketball. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, it, it does stink when friends say mean things, right? Do you think you suck at basketball? No. I said, well, you know, then you can choose to let what Johnny said hurt your feelings or you can say, yeah, that was kind of mean, but I don't think I like, don't let it affect what you think. Right. Or by the way, when they're teenagers, boys or girls, I don't care. The hormones are cray cray. They are <laughs> like, they're your nice, sweet kid one second. And the next minute they're yelling at you for literally breathing the same oxygen <laughs> as you are. And so, and you're like, what? just happened here, you know? And so they'll come home and they might slam the door and, 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 you know, give them their space and say, especially for these kids that live through COVID and their sense of community was just totally like thrown upside Taken down. Away. And mm -hmm. so, you know, they'd be like, Oh, I'm really stressed. And even though I'd look at my son sometimes, I'm like, what are you stressed about? Like you have everything you need, but, but <laughs> acknowledging like, yeah, it's got to be stressful, like applying to college and having your mom on your ear all the time. Did you do this? Did you do this? So I hear you. It's like, is there anything I can do to help? No, I'm just stressed. Okay. And just validating that, just right? validating what you hear, right? Whether you think it's worthy or not, that's how they feel. And so feel. telling them just get over it is like telling someone who's literally clinically depressed, well, just cheer up. It, yeah. it, it, it does, just, it's not helpful. Like it's no. not helpful. And I think that in motherhood, there's, you know, you can make that same correlation to motherhood and like you might see, you might have four kids and somebody else has one and you hear them complaining about something that's really hard and you might think, oh, well, what do you know? But it's that person's reality. And so when your kid is five or 10 or whatever they're upset about is their re reality and their experience. And if they're really upset by it, you know, like this I've learned with my daughter, she's very strong both and very sensitive. So when things are not going the right way, it's like, it's really hard for her. And sometimes I can be like, oh, like, come on, you know, is this really a big deal? But that dismissive attitude mm -hmm. just fuels the fire. And it's like, I've really had to be like, okay, let's stop and actually look at it through her eyes and through mm -hmm. her experience. Because it's quite different than when I'm looking at it through the adult's eyes, who's like, I'm busy, I got to go do this and I got to go do that. And I really think that 
for me, designing a life where I am able to be there for those things instead of feeling like I'm rushed going to my next appointment or my, my next yep. thing. I think that is the reason I also started my own business to design my life the way I actually wanted to thrive in it. Yeah. Um, and I see you doing that. I see you living that through your past. How many years has it been since you owned Pilates in the Grove? Or you started Pilates in the Grove? So Pilates in the Grove started in 2010. My first studio, the small one, started in 2007. Wow. And then I opened, we opened what would have been our third location in 2015. So it's been, what, 12, 15, 10, 12 years? I don't even know how to do math. 15, 15, 15 years, years since the Thank first you. one. Yeah, Thank 15 you. and then 12 since the Pilates in the Grove. It's hard. Like, I feel like COVID made me, like, lose a couple years. So I'm like, yeah. I don't know what year we're in. Yeah, so it's been I about know. 15, you know, 15 years. My older son, who's 18, was, like, two and a half. So Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. And I one, one thing that I want to ask you about is you, you had mentioned the time you forgot to pick up your son at school. Oh, my God. I feel like I can see myself doing this because I get so focused on what I'm doing and then I'm like, oh, right. What time is it? This was awful. I remember. So like I said, my husband and I, it's a little different now because he travels a lot for work. But when he had like an office job and I had the, um, our, my business, it was like, I would take, you know, and we're in patient care. So we start at, it's not like I go sit at my desk and I could be an hour late. It's not a big deal. So he would take two days a week and then pick up two days a week. And I would take two days a week and pick up two days a week. So it was, we had our days and I had it. I think we both thought the other one was picking our son up and I got a call from the school. And I think I sent it to voicemail cause I was with a patient and I don't keep my phone with me. And I, and then they kept calling and, and I, so I finally picked up and I, they were like, Oh, so we have Brett in the office. And I was like, no, my husband's supposed to pick him up. And he was like, well, we can't get a hold of your husband either. And like Brett's in the office. And I was like, oh my God, I forgot my kid. And I literally, you know how you see in the movies, like the parent that forgets the kid and they walk, they drive up and the kid's like waiting outside. And, you know, and I'm like, I'm a made for TV movie now. I'm an after school (laughs) special. I don't even, to be honest, I don't even think he remembers this at this point. He was in elementary school, so he was young. And uh, I don't even think he would remember, but it's the stuff that we see as like a failure. A failure, And, um, you know, the thing with that that's really over the last couple of years that I've started doing um, at the suggestion of my therapist has been really modeling reactions to behaviors in front of my kids. So when I get stressed or Mm -hmm. overwhelmed, I would say things like, you know what, guys, I don't know what's, I'm just, I'm having one of these days and I'm just going to need like a little bit of quiet time is because I'm afraid that I'm going to yell or say something. Or if I do yell, I would say, you know what, that was wrong. I apologize. I shouldn't have reacted that way, you know? And, and I, I never liked you accept my apology because I'm like, my job is to give the apology. It's the receiver's job whether to accept it or not. And yes. so, but modeling that behavior and putting language around what I'm feeling mm-hmm. is helpful, I think, to children to be able to put language around the emotions that they're feeling. And I have boys, so I am teaching them that it's okay to be emotional. It's okay yes. to cry if you want to. Um and I have friends who have language. boys who are like four or five whose grandparents say, you're like, boys don't cry. And I'm like, they're four. Yeah. It doesn't matter how old you are. You, whether you have a vulva or a penis, like it, 
you need to to have emotions and you do have emotions. You need to be allowed to cry. And that as a mom of boys, like I feel like that alone is changing the world is sending your boys out with the ability to know what their emotions are, to express them and to also know that they're human because they see their parents modeling the same behavior too is, you know, I will, I will say often, you know, I am really stressed or I'm tired. I'm hungry. For me, if I'm hungry, I get hangry. So I will say I cannot do play with you until I've eaten. Mm -hmm. I'm like, please don't interrupt me until I've done, I've finished my meal. And then they're, you know, can you read me this book? Can you do this? And they can do that. But I'm like, they need to know that I'm holding a boundary around that because it's important not for my, not just for myself, but also how I show up in front of them is, yeah, because if I'm yelling, it's usually I'm tired or hungry. Right. I, I'm right? the same and, and throwing cold in there and I'm just like a complete disaster. So. That's <laughs> why you live in Miami, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Krista, I have some final, final questions, final thoughts that I'd love to ask you. Shoot. Um, Okay. So if you mentioned that book, I, cause I love to find out people's favorite podcasts and books. And, um, you mentioned that book now, can you repeat the that? E-myth, that the book? E-Myth, The E-Myth Revisited. That's a okay, great perfect. book. Mm-hmm. And do you listen to podcasts? I think you do, right? I do. I love podcasts. Um, because I walk my dog in the morning and it's like a great time for me perfect. to just listen. Um, yeah. I do believe what we put between our ears is positive. So, um, Let's see some podcasts. I like this podcast. I listen to this podcast. So the mom strength I listen and I li- what else have I, do I listen to a lot? I listen to, um, I listen to Brene Brown, dare to I lead. I love Brene. Yeah. Yep. I love that I listen to that. Um, from like business perspective, sometimes I listen to, I should actually pull up my phone. What do I have in my library here? Um, I do listen to Oprah sometimes the own or super soul conversations that she Saturdays has. Are, yeah. Yeah. What's my library here? I go through phases where I listen to podcasts. Yeah. A bunch and then I don't. Chill and Prosper, which is Denise Duffield Thomas. She actually wrote the book Chillpreneur, which is mm. a great book. Um, I love that one. And I listen to... Sometimes I'll listen to um, Biz Chicks, which is like a service entrepreneur, um, and it's Biz Chicks with an S X X. Um, so those, you know, I, I kind of jump around. There's sometimes if I'm like, do I want to listen to a business one or do I want to listen to like I'll listen to like On Purpose with Jay Shetty, like just to kind yep. of do I want to listen to like positive affirmations? Like what do I what Life do I stuff. want? Yeah, yeah, exactly. What do I want to put in my between my ears here. I really do think that's important when I'm not listening to music because I like listening to music for like my me time. And if I'm working, sometimes I'll just like have something playing. But I also find when you have young kids, like there's so much noise Mm -hmm. that sometimes I'm like, I just need peace and quiet Mm -hmm. and like dead silence. Um, But I love that going for walks and listening, such a great great way to do it. And what are some things that you do every day for self-care? Like three things that you do for yourself to take care of you. Honestly, I mean, I walk my dog. I love that. I love being outside. Um, There's not a whole lot that I'm like, you know, oh, I'm going to go get this or that. I've just now created boundaries around my, like I work from home now. So I go into the studio once a week, twice a week. So that's really my self-care. Like having a schedule where I can go out and walk my dog. Yeah. Take a nap when I want to take a nap. 
Um, it's nothing like spec. I wish I could tell people like I meditate for 45 minutes a day. Like, no, I listen to my podcast. That's my self-care. I do do things where I'll have like last night I went out to dinner with a few of my girlfriends. That is really like when you talk about filling your cup, like that's very cup. filling to me, like going out with my girlfriends and just laughing about life and life. each other. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I I also see this in you, like I ask this question to new moms and I see a big change in moms who have more experience in mothering is you really start to see your life as doing things for you versus like mm -hmm. at the beginning, you're like, oh my God, I need like my coffee. That's my self-care every day. Or like I need like a shower, right? It's like basic stuff. But as you start to get more experience, you're like, I want to build a life where like my life doesn't feel mm -hmm. like I have to escape from it. Yep. And I see that. I see that more and more. And I think that's something to aspire to as well. Can you tell me something that you're really passionate about right now? I mean, I'm super passionate about teaching others what they can accomplish and what they think was not possible for them. So I approach my physical therapy that way, like showing people that, yeah, the doctor might have told you that you have to live with this pain, but that's just simply not true. And you can mm -hmm. do these things to get you to where you want to be. It's the way that I work with business owners or, you know, if I could touch one person's life and show them that what they want to achieve is possible in mm -hmm. any way, shape or form, that's something that I'm really passionate about. Amazing. And I think you are amazing at that. I can see it in the work that you do and even just how you speak about empowering women in, oh, thank you. in this field. And how can people get in touch with you? So you can get in touch with me a couple different ways. If you want to go directly to my personal website, it's kristagurka.com. Um, if you are in healthcare and fitness and are interested in looking at like my business website, you can check out pilatesinthegrove.com. We also have, you know, some videos on there, physical therapy stuff and um, Pilates. And online services too, and right? Online, online programming. Pilates so. and stuff like that. So Amazing. those are two ways. I'm really active on Instagram at Krista Gurka. I do share a lot of um, business stuff and personal stuff relating to being a mom. And my kids occasionally will allow that me to put them on social media, but we respect their boundaries because that's what I we teach that. them. Yep. So if they, I embarrass them quite frequently with my <laughs> videos. So that's cute. And you have a podcast as well, female yep. empowered. So my podcast is called female empowered and it is pretty much around running a business that, you know, suits your life. It's like winning in business and in life for boutique fitness studio owners and, and females in the healthcare wellness fitness space. Incredible. And I'm excited to, um, I'll share all of that, that stuff Thank you. in the show notes as well. Do you have any launches or anything coming up? Do you launch or are um, you uh, we, ongoing? We have, I have an ongoing, um, group with a coaching program for female entrepreneurs in healthcare and fitness. It's called FitBiz Foundations. And basically it's literally like business school for fitness brands. So it, it takes what you kind of need to learn from a business perspective and breaks it down into under what we actually need, right? So sometimes a lot of these business trainings are made for, you know, big corporate or companies that have 50, 100, 500 employees. And it's really hard for businesses to like break that down and how it will help them. 
And so that's what this program really is. It's only for women. Um, and we, so we have that running all the time. That's on my website. And then we do have a Pilates video on demand subscription. That's kind of always available for if people want a boutique Pilates studio right from their living room, that's on our Pilates in the Grove website. Incredible. And one last question for you is what would you say is your mom's strength? I would say resilience. I would definitely say that um, I'm an over-functioner at heart. So when there's chaos and stuff, like I can put my head down and go and just realizing like, you know, sometimes I just think back to like people have, women have been having babies for centuries and doing it with a lot less. So, so none of us know what we're doing. There is no handbook to being a good mom. And so we're all just trying to do the best that we possibly can. I love that. Thank you so much, Krista, for spending this time with us today. I'm so excited. I think this episode is going to come out in early June. um, And I will share all of the details to connect with you. If you're listening to this and you found this Um, episode helpful, please take a screenshot, share it on Instagram, tag us both. Let Krista know, you know, if you want to connect with her, send her a DM. I'm sure she'd be happy to hear from you. Um, And just wanted to thank you for joining us in this conversation today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and share my story. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Mom Strength and being part of this important conversation. Check out the show notes for more info and links, and we'll chat again.